1: All right, we're back here on the show. It's me, Hugh, and uh, Vaughn is my co-host. Vaughn, how are you enjoying the experience? Fine, fine. Right? Even though it was kind of a surprise. Yes, right? big surprise. But you're adapting okay? Well, I am have to, you know. <laughs> you're my boss. I have to look good right now. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we've got uh, Cap Cowan joining us here, president of the Myasthenia Gravis Society of Canada. Right, Cap? Correct. So... Um, I don't know what that is. Maybe you can just give us a brief introduction to uh, myasthenia gravis.
2: It's, a, um, it's an autoimmune condition. Nobody knows what causes it. And it's chronic, condition that is incurable so far. So myasthenia gravis, is, uh, what happens is um, some of the antibodies in your body that are normally there to fight bacteria, etc., become rogue and they start attacking your muscle receptors. So when you do motion that you will, your muscles, when you move um, your hands, anything else, they start to attack the muscle receptor. Sounds fun. Yeah, then what happens? Well, then you become paralyzed, or in the case of extreme myosinia gravis, you would have an attack of your trachea muscles, and you would suffocate. So back in the 18th century, 19th century, Early 20th century, uh, as late as 1945, about 50% of people would die from an attack of Mycenae Gravis. Really? Now it's down to 1%. All of that. So at one time, half the people that died, died from this condition? Uh, that have Mycenae Gravis. Oh. In yeah. Canada oh, or like in the world? Uh, global figure. Wow. Yeah. Not so- half the people in the world, half the people that have the condition.
1: Oh. Now, is it something that um, tends to, uh, as you, you mentioned the word attack, mm-hmm. a, an acute attack that can then
2: subside, or Correct. is it something that gets worse and worse and worse? Right. Or It seems to be fairly subjective by patient, but there are two bells, if you like, of, uh, that seem predominant in age groupings. Mm-hmm. Uh, for women between the ages of 20 and 40, they seem to be the highest percentage susceptibility, and men over 50. But we have in our... My Senior Society of Canada members from all over the country and all over the map, in age, right, from three months to ninety-five. Does this affect
1: people in certain occupations, or is this just like you can catch it whenever?
2: It doesn't seem to be occupation-related. Right. Stress is definitely a factor in managing it. And so if you get so, stress could bring on an attack. Correct or combinations, yeah, with other issues, uh, certainly.
1: And is it something, uh, I mean, Vaughn mentioned uh, you could catch it or, uh, or asking about that, or, or is it yeah. more something you've either got or don't have? So
2: far as we know, it's not genetic, oh, nor you. is it transmittable. That's one of the first things your family asks you. you know? Right. So far as we know, there are probably 0.01% may have a genetic link. So In other no- words, sister-mother. But we don't really know the so cause. But really, it tra- doesn't seem to be transmittable. It doesn't seem to be genetic.
1: So it's like a bug, in a sense. It just lacks. Yeah, it on.
2: Yeah, it's, it's an antibody mutation that affects the neuromuscular receptors, right. basically. Exactly. And if you're going to get there, are probably categorically between 70 and 100 autoimmune conditions,
1: mm-hmm.
2: including Parkinson's, diabetes, fibromyalgia. These are all autoimmune conditions. So this is another... MS? Yeah. Uh, fortunately, if you want to get an autoimmune, probably MG is the best one to get.
1: Yeah, because, because...
2: it's not degenerative.
1: It doesn't get worse, you mean.
2: With treatment. You can you can manage it. So there is treatment? Uh-huh. There is treatment. So what is the treatment? Well, the first problem is to get proper diagnosis.
1: I would suspect there might be a lot of people walking around that don't <laughs> even know that they have it.
2: Yeah. We think probably statistically in Canada between 15 and 25,000 total might yeah, have, have my senior gravis. Okay. Well, 15 for sure. Yeah. It could be 25 or 30 probably. But what percentage of that has been diagnosed? Uh, probably half, wow. at the most. So what would the symptoms be? Uh, well, and Mike, it it varies a lot, but the most obvious symptom is what they call slow eye or lazy eye. Okay. That's an ocular condition, you know, where your eye kind of droops. Like or both eyes
1: droop when when you're a kid's they have that yep. i mean there's a lot of a relative and then they give you a patch Sometimes. don't they isn't that the treatment over your yeah. good eye
2: and slurring Interesting. so those are symptoms that could be for other things too
1: of if course. you read your
2: heart and you know stroke uh, manuals and that so yeah. which is one of the problems uh, there are symptoms in a lot of conditions that are similar
1: so it blends yeah. in with others yeah
2: in my case uh, blurring vision blurring especially with fatigue on a highway driving, that kind of thing. See if they pull over and stop and rest, and then it comes back. But it'll suddenly be out of alignment when you have an optical check. Mm. So it's often misdiagnosed as mini-stroke and treated for mini-stroke. Well, how do they do a proper diagnosis? Well, there are, there are different uh, tests for it. In my case, um, I was misdiagnosed with mini-strokes and treated for it. Um, it worked up backwards for me. I almost died from the treatment for <laughs> the wrong condition. And in dragging myself into hospital, a team ultimately diagnosed me with myasthenia gravis. Um, the magic was a uh, injection of a drug called tensile on a steroid. And from slurring and eyes all half closed, like magic. Really? My eyes opened. I stopped slurring. Just with gone, that injection? Just like that. Whoa. Yeah. They videoed it, so I'm now a, a poster boy for the University of Toronto Medicine. <laughs> On my senior gravis. yeah. And I went to a meeting with I think 32 neurologists after, and one of them, who happened to be the one that misdiagnosed me, was and was treating me in a global study of mini stroke, did not believe them. They had to show him. So the one that was killed. video, you. yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Well so it's, uh, that's, a, that's our biggest problem when we have emergency uh, client or a, or a patient they go to emerge with an attack yeah they can't breathe, they can't swallow they need to be, they need to be treated. people are afraid they don't know what to do
1: because you know even though you' They're got not your bleeding top notch, you're not, yeah. health practitioners they may not know that's that right. this is this
2: that's is, right. w- is so that's one of our number one purposes as a national society is to educate the public and healthcare professionals to what is myasthenia gravis. Right. And uh, how do you diagnose it? And how do you treat it? And then to take it a step further, how can we as Canadians know that we can get that kind of treatment anywhere, mm-hmm. which is the new world we're evolving, right? Mm-hmm. So it's quite a challenge. The not for profit corporation we formed nationally was because of that problem. If you have somebody you know who's on your Facebook group, which we have as well, and they're in Moncton, and they're waiting for diagnosis of a batch of blood tests for four weeks because they, uh, they batch them. Mm-hmm. She's in the media. In the meantime she's in emergency on a, on a gurney the whole time. So this is a really a big problem in Canada, with big distances is to get equal treatment. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, we have people come to our quarterly support meeting in Toronto from Ottawa area, because there's nobody there specializing that they know of specifically in my senior Gravis. So, was it this U of T team that came up with this treatment? It was actually at St. Mike's that I got diagnosed, but I'm treated at University of Hot Health Network at you know, at General.
1: So, that's a. Toronto a General. It goes to speak uh, great things about.
2: Yeah, uh, they have the largest myasthenia gravis clinic in, in North America at, you know, at, uh, at Toronto General. And now are they using the same treatment? They're using a variety of treatments. Uh, there are many treatments for it. Okay. Yeah. I take quite a bit of medicine. Yeah. I guess we call me stabilized now. Yeah. I'm stabilized. So I'm within two to four hours of an attack if I withdrew from my medicines. And it would come on for sure. Yeah, I'm taking a combination of things, which we know have side effects and all that sort of thing. So, yeah.
1: Now, I know you came in here with <laughs> George today. I, I did. Mean, does his uh, secretropin?
2: tropin... Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, at first, I misunderstood it. Yeah. I thought it was a hormone supplement. Yeah and um, it it is not a hormone supplement it's quite intriguing because it's a pituitary stimulant and I'm I'm intrigued more and more as I get to know George not just the product he's got but the integrity of the man yeah I really admire George and he's got major health issues which are reasonably obvious that he struggles with and yet he's managed to become functional again which I admire very much and intellectually he's a very bright guy he's constantly searching and we're also uh, Lodge brothers Yeah. We happen to be in uh, Masonic order together, so we become quite good friends. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm always grateful for a new friend. They're hard to get, right? Yeah. So he's encouraged me quite a bit. And uh, he was one of our speakers at one time. We, we've we got a long way to go. Um, I have been invited to speak in Edmonton, for example, for the... They do an annual um, MG Education Day. Mm-hmm which is wonderful for their patients out there. It needs to be done in a lot more places. And like other conditions, you know, they tend to be um, kind of part of our gurney journey, if you like, as people. The gurney human, journey. I call it a gurney journey. Yeah. Yeah. When we've been on our backs, our life changes forever. Yeah. We become part of the fellowship of man. We become, we understand and resonate that interdependency. And we become different. We become permanently different. And... Uh, Therefore, I feel um, it's a, a privilege for me as a patient to become also an advocate, a health advocate. And in that process, maybe all of us will learn something about our journeys together.
1: Now, you mentioned yeah. the one, one of your... Uh Objectives is uh, to educate the public and educate health practitioners. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you're working on or some of the other initiatives that you're uh, undertaking at the moment?
2: Well, there's a huge Congress coming to Toronto you might want to be aware of. It's the largest gathering of uh, neuromuscular specialists in the world. It's a, uh, it's international. It's coming in uh, July 5th to 9th. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brill, my myasthenia gravis neurologist, because it's mostly neurologists that treat myasthenia gravis and a lot of the other autoimmune conditions, you know, if there's a neurology element to it, she is president of that Congress. It's called a Congress. It's the International Congress of Neuromuscular Diseases. It'll be held at the Sheraton from July 5th to 9th.
1: And myesthesia it will be a subject is of it, one of those but it's,
2: you have to have publish a paper to even be able to present there mm-hmm. it's quite profound there'll be something like 120 to 150 international research papers presented on a variety of neuromuscular conditions
1: now um, so we're going to give out the website uh, uh, if we haven't already and no you um, haven't
2: you haven't asked me it but well, we do have a we, website. We
1: will yeah. get it. Oh, okay. But I want to ask you: What are you looking for, if anything, at the moment? Are you looking for financial support? Are you looking for volunteer support? I don't know anything.
2: Yeah, all of the above. Uh, specifically for the Congress, we're looking for more volunteers to help us. We have, uh, I think, we've got somewhere between twenty and thirty. We need monitors for the sessions, so people are properly registered and mm-hmm. you know, don't walk in there off the street, and, you know, the, the, that kind of thing. And we have a booth, an information booth there. Uh, well, of course, we're looking for funding. The funding We don't need the funding for ourselves. We need the funding to educate. Mm-hmm. And educate both the public and the healthcare world. And that requires sustainability.
1: Now, are you looking for funding for a cure? Or do you already have enough treatments that are um, effective?
2: Of course, we're looking for funding for cure. But it's such a small, uh, it's, not a, it's, it's, it's a rare condition. So, so far, uh, we are beneficiary, if you like, of what I call serendipity research. So sometimes it's applying that research going on in other places and paralleling it into mm-hmm. treatments for myasthenia gravis and the mm-hmm. other way around, you know. Mm-hmm. There is only one drug that's prescribed that would be called a universal consensus drug right mm-hmm. now for, mm-hmm. for myasthenia gravis, and the name of it is, generic name is called Mestinon. It's the only one that they actually can prescribe that everybody agrees on is a good idea. It's basically, uh, it's functionally supposed to be a muscle blocker. It delays the effect. Mm. Mm. But everything else is experimental. Mm. And it's subjective. It just, uh, Yeah, it's really not a no-man's land, but we are in a very exciting time in medical research. I, I think you must be aware that I've seen a line like this. The line goes like this where we've been up till two thousand sixteen. Oh yeah. From the next five years like that will be the new line. You mean in all in all medical medical research. Research, yeah. It's gonna go crazy. Yeah. Because the amount of information that's around the amount of ability to cross generate and interact like we are here and share it and uh, interpret it.
1: So at this rate, how do you think you'll be in the next five years or so? Uh,
2: I'm just even in the last two years, the very fact that we have this new interactive Facebook is a remarkable improvement in our ability to be 24-7 with all our fellow members. With the they Facebook? Ha- we actually interview them. They can't go online on our Facebook page without being accepted. Okay. It's well, great. It's great. We're in a great era now of communication. So Greatest pe- ever.
1: People can check out the website,
2: which yeah, you might as well give it up it's mgcanada.org. Now.
1: MGCanada.org. MG yeah, And um, people can volunteer there. They can maybe uh, give some tips on there. They yeah, can see yeah, if they. They can b- donate if they like. They can join us. They can a self uh, diagnose.
2: Uh, not, I know, that's not I know a good they got to go to
1: their doctor to get <laughs> that's the That's not a good one, idea. <laughs> but they can go. Yeah. Is there a checklist on there? Oh, yeah, I got that. I got that. Oh, you got yeah. that. Better go see my doctor. Yeah, well, it might give yeah. them a hint
2: maybe why they're getting yeah. these kind of strange symptoms. Okay. Yeah, that might be good.
1: All right. And they can volunteer there, too, for the conference coming Absolutely. up in the summer. Okay, Cap. Great to have this conversation. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Telling us about this, and good luck with the conference. Good luck with uh, all the objectives. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, Vaughn, I think that might be it for the show today. But if it isn't, we'll
2: be right back. I'll run right outside and get somebody (laughs) else for you. (laughs)